Okay, so we only have one more week after this week with Peter. I'm really going to miss him. He's a tremendous, tremendous speaker. Let's give a warm welcome to Peter. My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. <clears throat> Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, again, thank uh, Rachel, and I think I want to thank James for having me here. Uh, a hell of an opening act. Um, God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I'm very grateful to this power called God for getting me to a place called Recovered and uh, not struggling with being a recovering anything anymore. But because of this great power, I've gotten to a place of getting past the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And because of this power called God, gotten past the alcoholism the isms that accompany this thing, that this affliction that I have, not cured of alcohols, but certainly get recovered and grow in understanding and effectiveness. <clears throat> I just want to share something with you from a hero, from me. And she, she writes this. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous, be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow, do good. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough, give your best anyway. For you see in the end, it is never between you and God, it is always between you and them anyway. Um, how do I get there? If I'm seeking refuge in people rather than God, I'll never experience that. If I'm believing, uh, uh, living with old belief systems rather than the ones that I'm getting in Alcoholics Anonymous and taking me to a power called God, I'll never le live that way. But if, as the, as, the, as the old stuff starts to die and the old belief systems and conceptions about life start to die, what emerges is what God created in the first place, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. What does that look like? What's that feel like? Experientially, can I talk to you? Can we talk to each other about what it's like living in a world of the spirit? What it's like having a spiritual awakening? Or am I just giving lip service to something I can't achieve or have never achieved? And the neat thing about this spiritual transformation, it's way beyond our local meetings. It's way beyond my home group. It's even way beyond my own prayer life and meditative life. I get to, we get to go to a place we've never experienced before to transcend everything we know. To transcend everything I think I know about God, the big book, the 12 steps, AA, my illness, all of it, to a place that I've never experienced before, to a level of existence or another dimension I never experienced before. How does someone like me who live for the next drink not thinking about, not think about drink anymore? How someone like me who was full of selfishness and self-centeredness to the core, it was all about me all the time, fear-based, insecure, ego the size of the state of Texas, go from there to a place uh, uh, having a life of service. Huh? I've tried psychiatrists. I've tried my religious community. I've tried therapists. I've uh, had beatings given to me. I've been taken in and thrown out. I have money given to me, denied me money. Everything possible. And none of it worked. Even when I had a powerful desire to stay away from the next drink. Even when I was in treatment saying, I'm never going to drink again, only to pick up another drink. 
and for years thinking that external conditions were going to be my remedy for an internal illness called alcoholism, always believing the lie. And the only way I can experience the truth is when the false dies. And that gets forged out on an anvil, and it isn't always fun. It isn't always pretty. In fact, it's pretty painful and ugly. The necessary piece for me to get free of me, which is at the end of the day is what happened to me. I got free of me. I've, I've joked with you guys week after week that I hope I never show up for one of these talks. I hope I don't show up anywhere anymore. What I hope is that the spirit in me, as you have yours, goes and shows up everywhere, that my beingness is what you get to see, not me and my thinking mind, huh? How do I go from seven treatment centers and being homeless and sleeping behind a dumpster in abandoned buildings and doing a lot of the earthy, ugly things to standing before you tonight with some dignity and integrity? I was talking to a friend the other day about, uh, I was in Jersey over the weekend and uh, <clears throat> talking to some friends about the days out there because I know these guys forever. And I was just sharing with them how I, I remember uh, my uh, idea of bathing was getting a fire hydrant that was running and kind of putting my head under the fire hydrant and that was my bath for the day. And I walked around like that. And uh, my, my diet consisted of a beer and a pack of Twinkies. If I had extra money, by the way, I would splurge on some Twinkies, and that's how I went. And when I landed in treatment, I had about 130, 140 pounds, dehydrated, and very, very ill. I can understand why. How I'm here, only God, only God knows. Because based on my track record, I'm not supposed to be here. You should have another speaker tonight. How do I get to practice principles in all my affairs when people around me are not? How do I get to walk head up and shoulder square, knowing I am known by my creator? Right? and get to do things that, that seemed totally impossible, unfathomable in 1988 when God separated me from alcohol. Why is God the most important relationship in my life today? And why do I strive to grow and understand the effectiveness to know my creator? And stand before you on most days without judgment, but lots of mercy. When my book says love and tolerance of others is my code, it doesn't mean your behavior. It just means unconditional love for you, as sick and twisted as you may be. Because when I got in here, I was just sick and twisted, and no one says you can't come back anymore. They said, in fact, keep coming back. I mean, it's the only place, I've joked for so many times, the only place on the planet that I know of, I can tell you about my deep, deepest, darkest, twisted up secrets, and you say, here's my number, give me a call. <laughs> right? <clears throat> June 23rd, 1988, God separates me from alcohol, and I had no clue what I was in for. I heard about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I certainly had an idea of what sponsorship was. I knew about AA meetings, so I bounced in and out of AA for years. It was a long time before I got to June 23rd, 1988. And for a long time, I would sit, how come I didn't get here sooner? Why didn't I get here in my early 20s? And, and why did I have to go through what I had to go through? Because I had to go through what I went through. Until the ground was fertile enough and God can do the growing. A day shy of June 23rd, 1988, probably have a different speaker here tonight. A day after June 23rd, 1988, probably have a different speaker here tonight. But God saw the ground was fertile and said, now. And that day happened to me when I begged to this higher power to take me from this, this life I was living. I couldn't do it anymore. And that comes at a deep gut level, not from the mind, because the mind is where resistance and ego lives. 
And as long as in my, I'm in my mind, I will not experience God. I can't comprehend or define that power called God, but I can certainly experience, but I must be out of my mind. And you guys have heard me say week after week after week, I hope everyone loses their mind for good. In fact, when people say, I'll keep you in my thoughts, say, don't do that. I don't need to be up there. Yeah? But something shifted on, in, on June 23, 1988, where it was beyond the powerful desire not to drink. It was a really powerful desire not to die anymore. I did not want to die. My life, like many of us, was a slow suicide. There was a time I was uh, living in this flea bag motel in Staten Island, New York, and I really tried to die. I ate what was left of a bottle of pills and washed it down with Jack Daniels. And there was this quiet excitement about getting into bed and not waking up anymore. I wanted no part of this thing called life. I can't live life on life's terms. 25 years later, I don't even attempt to live life on life's terms because I know what that looks like. I know what that entails. Me running the show. My happiness based on what comes to me that makes me feel good, even though I might hurt you. And it's all short-lived. What I have found out, this spiritual transformation, living in the sunlight of the Spirit, entering the world of the Spirit, lots of times my mind says it should feel like utopia. I should be uh, uh, in this place of awe, and we'll get that. But really, when we're living in the sunlight of spirit, when we're living with the spiritual transformation, it isn't so I'm euphoric all the time, just just a steady comfort to my life, the way we walk through it. No highs, no lows, even though I'll laugh and weep, it isn't riding that roller coaster. It just is in a place of surrender and acceptance. And my navigating system through life has changed completely. No attachments to what people think of me. No attachments to what I think I need to be okay. That's all gone. But certainly a oneness with this power called God. I don't live along the lines of what my mind says, a human consciousness, but divine consciousness. And that doesn't come by just coming to an AA meeting. That comes with what I'm doing outside of this meeting. What I'm doing when I'm in my prayer and meditative life and getting up off the mat and going to work. When we're walking the dog, when we're playing with our children, when we're meeting before this meeting, how am I doing? Am I showing love and compassion? This is the only planet we got, and for us, AA is it. It's the last house on the block. How am I doing with people? Do I have compassion for others? I have found I try to have compassion for people. I try to be loving and tolerant, but it was me trying to do that. The transformation is who I be now. Even with all the cracks in my armor, even with all my brokenness and all the mistakes I make, I'm coming from a different beingness, spiritual transformation. It's way beyond the meetings. June 23rd, 1988, I surrendered. And if I live to be 100 until God calls me home, that moment, June 23rd, 1988, may be as honest as I will ever be in my entire life. There was no attachments to anything that day. There was nothing. God in his infinite mercy and wisdom removed everything and took me to the edge of a cliff where my nails were dug in and I came to the realization, if I fall, I die. That's how far my God had to push me. Different levels for different people. Park Avenue, Park Bench. My God took me to the edge of a cliff, nails dug in. I says, oh my God, please, I don't want to die. And at that point, readiness showed up. Uh, big book says that alcohol beat us into a state of reasonableness. I was listening. But thank the good Lord for him that I wasn't listening to me. Because if I was listening to me, I would have said, well, maybe one more drink. I'll figure out how to get over this cliff. Right? 
I'll try to bargain with God. There was no bargaining. Any Lent was none of my business, and I can never start a spiritual transformation with the answer in mind. Well, if I, if I listen to God, I'll do this 90 and 90. I'll be Moses, and I'll be a circuit speaker. Great, sign me up. No. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous was the furthest thing from my mind. In fact, it didn't even enter the realm of my thinking that day. There was, AA was nowhere to be found in that moment of surrender. Nor was a sponsor, a big book, or even going back to treatment that day. Nothing. I don't want to die. Please take me from this. And he did. As he has rescued me over the last 25 years, whether it be a, a, a pain that wasn't so great or great pain, and I've had both. Even rescue me from my own joys. Even rescue me from my own desires. Even rescue me from my own euphoria. Because that will take me out just as quick as pain and suffering. Everything's great. Got a pocket full of money. I got a new relationship. Got a new car. Great job. I don't need to pray and go to AA. Everything's great. I'm gold. But June 23rd, 1988, God took everything from me. Actually, it was leading up to June 23rd. How to get the ground really fertile for me. And we've all experienced this on the way into AA. That moment of, I'm done. Now, we had a lot of I'm done's along the way but only to go back, but something changes. And if we think about that bottom that day that catapulted us into AA, or the bottoms we will hit in AA when we're untreated, going to meetings and nothing else is going on, we're not getting our soul food, at that moment, we're not thinking about anything other than, I can't do this anymore. And when that's clear, I can hear. I'm not blind, the, 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 the veil comes off. That wasn't the plan on June 23rd night. There was another day of being drunk and sick and homeless and panhandling and not bathing and not eating. Just another day of torture. But something changed. I had no idea I was going to land in Alcoholics Anonymous. My Heavenly Father had the road paved for me the day I showed up, July 14th, 1959, to this earth. He had the path laid out for me, and what I did was throw rubble on top of it because of my attachments to things, my belief systems, the things I acquire and I buy. I take them in. Belief system, I'll take it. Another belief system, I'll take it. Anything to fit in with you because me standing here is not good enough. I'm Peter Marinelli. If you only knew me, you would never let me in the room. That's just how I grew up. I have a mom who's alcoholic um, and commits suicide when I was 14. Now, if people knew that, what would you really think of me? Even my mom's suicide was about me. What are people going to think of me when I go back to school? And sure as anything, when I walked into classroom, uh, after my mom passed, my dad, took us, uh, my dad took us to Florida, actually, just to get away. And when I went back to school, I remember walking into my high school classroom, and you know how homeroom was really noisy? I walked in, it was a hush. I know they're talking about me. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of this thing called life. And then I found a drink, and I did. Because alcohol works. Alcohol treats my alcoholism. I can pack into shame. I can feel okay. I can take a deep breath. Everything's okay. I got taller, better looking. Everyone thought I was great. I thought you guys were great. Alcohol worked. It was a panacea for my ills. Right? Except a boomerang and turned its flight, as Bill says, and cut me to ribbons. And June 23rd, 1980, I was bleeding to death, if you will. When I sit with new people, well, if I sit with a guy who asked me to sponsor him and they're sober a long time, 
Usually they come to me if they're really desperate because a lot of them know what they're in for. And whether they know it or not, know how, no matter how good they look or sound, if someone comes to me and I can read them that they look desperate, they don't realize, like I didn't realize, we're bleeding to death. There was a movie that came out a bunch of years ago, um, and this little kid says over and over, I see dead people. In AA, we see dead people. You know when they walk in the new, even though they're trying to front and look really good, you look into the eyes and it's out. The furnace isn't turned on. They're dying right before us. And what do we do to pass this message on? Say, give me a call when you want a drink. I'm not calling you when I want a drink. I'm calling you to bail me out of jail after I get drunk. We do. We see dead people. We also see awakened people. We also see enlightened people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I tried suicide. That didn't work. I remember when I came to, after eating a whole bunch of Valium and washing them down with Jack Daniels, and I came to a day later, whatever it was, and I remember instead of saying, I'm glad that didn't happen. Thank you, God. I curse God. How could you make me awake again? I can't do this. Why are you torturing me? I really thought God had it in for me. God and I had nothing to do with each other. I wanted nothing to do with this, this, this thing, this power. And I despised God. I loathed God. I scoffed at God. I gossiped about God. I didn't practice fidelity to God. Nothing. It was every man for himself. And when you're out on the street and you're living in the street and you're hustling in the street and you need a drink just to breathe, it's every man for himself. I was never attracted to the Bible beaters. I was never attracted to my church community. I was never attracted to the born-agains that were going to the Lower East Side of Manhattan and pass out Bibles. I thought they were weak and cowardly because they represented God. How's a guy like that get to where I am now? No better or worse than anyone, but where my whole life is around God, oneness with God. It's the most important thing, and I worship this power still in my brokenness. Practicing these principles in all my affairs, not when you're looking, it's what I'm doing in quiet. Because I can play a great game of being Moses for an hour. How am I doing when I'm stuck in traffic on 95? Or the little old lady with 4,000 coupons in Publix in front of me, right? <laughs> That's justifiable anger, by the way. I got out of my seven treatment center, and my family was broken. My family was suffering from alcohols, and none of them were alcoholic. Mom was long gone. There was me. My dad was suffering from such full-blown alcoholism. He's a strong, tough man, fear of nothing. And I say that because of my experience of being around him. Fear of no man. I never saw him wince once. Never saw him cry except for when my mom died. A man's man, that alpha male kind of guy, the general. And yet because of what owned me, owned him, this guy was walking around, head hanging, shoulders round, afraid of everything, waiting for the phone call when his oldest son was dead. If I was five minutes late back from lunch, he'd go into a panic. I never saw my dad panic. He always had the answer. It was always like a football coach, just knew what to do, marched down the field. With me, everything was scattered. And my brothers were full of venom and hate about life because of me, because I and my alcoholism owned them. And our book says years of living with alcohol will turn any child or wife uh, into a neurotic. The whole family has become ill. My family was suffer from alcoholism. What a mess. My family doesn't suffer from alcoholism anymore. 
because of this great fellowship, my brothers found Al-Anon. My brothers found therapy. And I thought it was the age of miracles had come alive when my dad walked into a therapist's office. This was a miracle of miracles. Because what we do when we practice these principles with an awakened spirit, it's the only way you can do it, is we get to touch the lives of others and great events start to happen. We get the power from God to actually heal the lives of others. Think about it. How we come in, we find a sponsor, and he or she is our navigation system. When, when the thunderbolt's hit and the mind wants to deny the existence of something greater, the sponsor's no, there's God, I'll walk you through it. And we go through the steps and something happens from the inside out. And the same drunk like me who was driven to go drink regardless of what was going to happen is moved by God to go bring this message of love and talents and understanding and compassion wherever we go, starting with our homes, as our book says, homes, occupations, and affairs. And somehow that becomes very contagious. And little by slowly, the illness that they're walking with because of what owned us starts to erode. Now, there's not going to be doves flying around and hops playing every time you go in the house because life is problematic. But something changes in me and then begins to change in them because every manifestation self is just that and God is greater. And we bring God where we go. And as peacemakers and servants of God, we go where there's trouble. And we make peace. We go where there's noise and make it quiet. We go where there's hate and bring love, huh? Practice these principles in all my affairs. And sometimes that's an order. I can't go through it. Sometimes we really have to buckle down and say, Father, please, this is a mess. I'm in trouble here with these folks. What do I do? How do I walk a straight line when, I'm, when things are falling around around me? After my seven treatment center, they sent me, uh, I was in Long Island for about 10 days of treatment, and uh, the voice was telling me, Peter, who are you kidding? You're Pete Marinelli. You're a loser. You're a bum. You've screwed up everything. Who are you kidding? AA. Sobriety. You can't even brush your teeth without a drink in you. Who are you kidding? And it was on me. Something changed this time. Because for the first time while I was sitting in treatment, I would tell one of the counselors what I was thinking. Prior to that, my ego wouldn't give me permission to do that. I didn't know, but the spiritual awakening was happening. I thought for so long that the spiritual transformation will begin when I open up a big book and start going through with the sponsor. That'll happen. That's our guarantee. Having had a spiritual awakening is all 30 steps. But doesn't it really begin in our very worst moment when we're down on our knees saying, please take me from this, I'll do anything, and we start listening to a different voice, and suddenly we find ourselves in a treatment center, we find ourselves in an AA meeting looking for a sponsor. It's happening. The engine is running. Now we need a teacher, an enlightened teacher, a sponsor to, to feed us and pull us ashore because it's open. I will never tell a newcomer make 90 meetings in 90 days. They may be dead by tomorrow. Don't have that luxury. And if they can do 90 meetings in 90 days without a sponsor, without God, just make a meetings. What do they need God for? What do they need the steps for? Just make another 90 and another 90. What pain? What misery? By 90 days, I should be sponsoring someone and coming here to give back, not take. I've been a taker my whole life. And that'll ruffle feathers at some of our contemporary A meetings. And if that's your thing, 90 meetings and I'm not even going to go there, then God bless you. If that floats your boat and your joy is happy and free, go. 
but I know my alcoholism. My alcoholism won't give me 10 minutes, let alone 90 meetings in 90 days. And believe me, if I was to somehow get away from what I've been doing, you think my alcoholism's not sitting in a bar somewhere with a nice drink saying, this is for Pete Marinelli when he shows up. Don't touch it. We're working on him. (laughs) (laughs) I got out of this one treatment center um, after about 10 days and change. and they were sending me out to Minnesota. I had about a day and a half layover, two days at home. And my dad picked me up from this hospital in Amityville, Long Island. Hospital treatment center, detox, it was one-stop shopping. And, um, and we got a long ride from Amityville, Long Island to Staten Island, right? And about a two-hour drive or so. And all the way home, I'm thinking at the next, the next exit, I'm jumping out of the car, I'll tell my dad to use the restroom and I'll just run. If we hit a red light, I'm out of here, I can't do this. I'm crawling, you know, the first few days, you're crawling out of your skin. Even though I don't want to drink, I got to drink. I'm going to get on a plane and go to Minnesota. I need a drink. I drove out, drive up to my house in Staten Island and I'm going, here's my opportunity to just run. And I followed my dad in the house. And I walked in the house, and I was not getting out. I knew that until we got to uh, uh, Newark Airport. And um, I remember being really fidgety and walking around the house. My stomach's upset, and I'm sweating, and I'm cold, and I'm, I'm still probably got post-acute stuff going on. And my dad looked at me, and he says, how are you doing? Now, in the past, I would have said, I'm fine. And I remember telling him, Dad, I'm not good. I don't feel good. And he said to me something, are you getting the urge? I says, yeah, I, I, I want to have a drink just to settle me down, but I know it's going to hurt me. He said, okay. And what he did is remedy. My dad's Italian made a big bowl of pasta. Figured out would fix everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I couldn't even look at the food. I can't even smell food because it would get me upset and nauseous. But uh, this tough guy uh, from South Brooklyn who didn't have the heart-to-heart talks like you see on TV, you know, um, he would give orders. That's his communication. We went out on the back porch, and I remember my dad sitting with me. It was the first time we ever did this. And he sat with me pretty much knee to knee and kept telling me it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just relax. And I start to talk to my dad about what I was feeling. And it was the first time he didn't say, you can't feel that way. How could you say something like that? He just listened without judgment. This was God allowing our roots to grasp new soil. And what I did that day was I called the treatment center and I got this woman on the phone, one of the, the therapists there, and she's, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm not good. I'm, not, I'm afraid I'm going to run away and go drink and I don't want to do that. I'm talking to my dad and I'm, I'm getting pulled and stretched and I, I, it's going to be a long night. And it was. But she talked to me. I reached out for help rather than constantly plotting my escape. I was afraid of what was going to happen to me. And I reached out for help. And that was the beginning of a shift in consciousness. There was something going on. I was listening to that voice in the gut, that quiet voice. Make the phone call. Make the phone call. Talk to your dad. I spoke to my dad. Be honest. I was honest. This is way beyond what I was capable of doing at the time. And then my dad took me to Newark Airport. It was an interesting thing. When I got on the plane that day, uh, my dad and my youngest brother took me. And I'm full of 
shame and guilt and remorse, and I, I'm just, I just, let me just crawl under a rock and die. And as I was getting on, it was pre-9-11, so you can go pretty far and drop your, your loved ones off before they got on the plane. And uh, they were right there, and, and they call me, and I'm, I'm getting on that little uh, walkway, and I look back, and my youngest brother has got tears rolling down his eyes, mouthing the words, get better. And my dad's fighting him back, fighting back the tears. And when I got, as I got to my seat, I remember saying, God, if you're out there, please help me get better to help them. I saw what I did. I saw the damage I did. My family was involved in a drive-by shooting because of me. And here they were, they were broken. And that was made abundantly clear to me. I came to the realization, the damage I've done prior to that. I couldn't care. Not that I hated my family, although I went through bouts of hating them. I didn't want to see them suffer. But I had to do what I had to do. And alcohol called. It was my master. I was its slave. And it went and took me wherever it wanted, stepping over bodies, if you will, to get the next drink, to get money. This day changed and I'm only separated from alcohol a couple of weeks, but there was something else going on. I don't want to die. I remember God, the voice in my ears says, enough, I have other work for you to do. Well, it was starting. You got to get me well. And off I go to Minnesota for about 10 months, and I was brought to a meeting called the Three Legacies meeting. Great stuff happened for me there. I saw what, how people were living. They would take me to diners. I had no money. They would take me into their home when no one would invite me into home and never once judge me, always had mercy and compassion. I saw these giants in AA practicing these principles in affairs with me. I was a new kid, a punk from Brooklyn. They didn't have to be nice to me. They didn't have to put me in their car. They certainly have to buy me dinner or give me pocket money because I had nothing, but that's what they did, and they weren't looking for anything in return. It's what they did. It's who they be now, what I do now, what many of us in this room do now. Polly always says, for fun and for free. No applause. It's who we be, the conversion. When I was brought home from Minnesota after about 10 months, 11 months, I ran to the next AA meeting. And I was brought to a group called the Free Spirit Group in Brooklyn, Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And I'm praying, Father, please show me a teacher. That was my word for a sponsor. I was never fond of the word sponsor. It sounds like, you know, buy Nike, sponsoring the Super Bowl, some ridiculous. It just didn't give it its dignity. For me, and that's just my own thing. Teacher, student, teacher, student. Father, please show me a teacher. And God answered the prayers because they were sincere. Not get me a sponsor so I could run around saying I have a sponsor. It's I know I need a sponsor. I need someone who's going to help me. And one night I'm at an anniversary meeting. This gentleman got up there and spoke about the big book, the 12-step service, his love for God and AA. And that same voice said, get him. And I approached him. It was like proposing for marriage, you know, <laughs> right? And we began a journey through the big book and the 12 steps. And the neat thing about sponsorship, was, which is part of our 12 step, uh, our primary purpose, working with others, is yeah, he went through the book with me and he gave me the mechanics. And he told me it's beyond the mechanics because if everything that take me to God can block me from God. It was about having an experience with this information. He did all of that and showed me traditions and took me to different meetings, but he taught me about life. He taught me how to have a relationship, how to go out on a date, 
how to go to a restaurant and order, how to open up a checking account. How to, I didn't, and I, God's honest truth, I had no idea how to fill out a check. I had forgotten. I had no idea how to do this stuff. So he was a teacher. He taught me. And it seemed like the more good things I was doing, I felt good about me and people around me, and my head went from here to here. I remember coming out of my fifth step and feeling part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as I started to clean up the wreckage of my past in nine, I felt part of God. Interesting thing was, as I'm chopping wood and carrying water, and I'm having these little thunderbolts of God, people around me, the way people around you, start to see the transformation before we come to the realization, my life's changed. I remember one day looking out a window, something like this, a, a lot of little windows in one big pane, and I'm looking out, and I'm watching the trees blow, and I'm, trees are green. Cool. <laughs> I'm taking this all in, and in that moment of noticing a greater level of awareness, it came to me, I haven't thought about a drink in a couple of months. I haven't, I haven't been thinking about drinking. How is this possible? I wanted more what you were offering me. I like the effect produced by God. I like the effect produced by Alcoholics Anonymous, the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, where we get reborn and resurrected right here. Based on my track record, I'm not supposed to be here, but I am. Our book uses the word reborn, recreate our life. We're constantly recreating our life, growing and understanding and effectiveness. And God becomes the most important relationship. And once God is the most important relationship and I start to get intertwined and experience oneness with God, how can I treat you without compassion? Because if I'm doing that, I got hypocrisy in my soul. I'm a fraud. That gets very painful when we're in 10, 11, and 12. You can't do it. You're going to need a drink at some point. And I'm not talking about living a life for perfection because I make lots of mistakes, but it's striving to grow. It's striving to do good. It's striving to, to know my God and to work with others. About 10 years into Alcoholics Anonymous, I went through the steps one time. Some of us go through the steps once. I did that, and now I go through once a year at least. One through nine, excess more power, kill self off, enter the world of the spirit. But about 10 years in Alcoholics Anonymous, thereabouts, I flatlined in AA. I was making meetings, doing steps, working with others, all of it, and I hit a wall. Dr. Tebow talks about the reconstruction, the reemergence of the ego, but we don't even know what's coming on. And we start to block God out, ease God out. Little reliance and dependence upon things other than God. Reputation starts to become important. Self starts to become important. How I look and how I sound becomes greatly important. And little by slow, I start to drift away. Well, I'm doing the work. And about 10 years in here, I had a little moment of what my sponsor called flatlining. And I prayed for a new teacher because my sponsor was going the same way I was, only faster. And I couldn't trust him anymore. I saw his behavior. I saw his sex behavior. I didn't like what was going on. I can't trust relying upon him. I said, God, we did it again. What do I do now? I need a new teacher. Show me what to do. And uh, I went to a thing called Fellowship of the Spirit, uh, a big book conference in, at St. John's in Queens, New York. And Mark H. happened to be the weekend, weekend speaker with another gentleman. And that same voice says, go to him. And when I went to Mark, he said, I've been waiting for you. And he said to me, are you ready to have your life turned upside down? I said, well, let's not get crazy. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not that bad yet. 
And he says, my job is to get you as independent of me as quick as possible, independent on God. And what I heard was, I don't like you. I got to get rid of you. That's what I heard. I said, you don't like me. You even don't know me yet. You not even start yet. Give me a week and then you won't like me. But, but what great words. And we began walk, walking through the 12 steps again. What a great teacher. Probably my greatest teacher ever. And because of this man, I was taught by, by other, for me, giants. Joe H's, Don P's, Gary B's. I got to speak about a half a dozen times with a gentleman, Paul M. from Chicago, who was sponsored by Dr. Bob. That's my lineage. That wasn't the plan when I asked Mark to sponsor me. It came out of desperation, sincere desire to get well and know God with 10-year sobriety. These, are, these were giants for me in AA. And they walk softly and carry a big book. They didn't need applause. They didn't even need to speak in front of people. That wasn't their thing. When they got called, they went. If they didn't, they stay home, work with another drunk. Great people, great teachers. Because the ground was fertile, I was open enough to listen. I began going through the work, and I start to investigate different, different spiritual books, different practices to enhance the experience, and I can't stress that enough. I'm a Catholic, and I went from Catholicism, one big circle. I investigated everything. I was gobbling up books, meditating on everything, asking questions, being quick to see where religious people are right, making use of what they were offering. I loved the effect produced by God. And my life was changing and changing and changing. I can't rely now, today, on an experience I had 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. My sponsor asked me a question one time. He says, Peter, did you eat today? He says, yeah. He says, why? You ate yesterday. What am I doing to get the soul food for today? I'll spend two hours picking out a suit and getting the hair and getting everything done, make sure the car is clean, and 15 minutes with God. Where should I have it the other way around? Because I'm right with God. Who cares about anything else anyway? Because it's not about me. I don't even deserve speaking to you. They ask me, I go. There's a lot better people who can do this, probably more deserving. But here I am, and God gives me some words, and I feel the push when I do this. It's just God work, and I hope I'm not here. June 23rd, 1988, it was the first time I didn't want to die. June 22nd, 1988, I would maybe put a loaded gun to my head because I wanted out. The conversion happens, but I don't own it. It's God, and my job is to seek God. Practice these principles in all my affairs. The interesting thing is, when we're practicing these principles in all affairs, we're going to get some heat, guys. We're going to take some hits. We go with the armor of God and off we go. We're going to take some hits, even hits from me. My own thinking mind is going to pull me away. Go, don't go to that conference and speak. You don't need to sponsor that person. You don't need to go to a meeting. You don't need to write inventory. It's that negative force, that illness, or whatever you want to term it, pulling you away because it knows you're about to get closer or, or experience more of God. That's not what it wants. It wants me home isolating with a drink in my hand. It wants me dead, will settle for me drunk. So we'll get the push from time to time. I can't tell you how many times, especially new guys, who got the big book, they're having some experience, and as long as they're not pontificating and becoming self-righteous with the book, because we can become dangerous with the book too. The book will take us to heaven or to war. The book will show me how to compassion or be self-righteous too. But if we really had the experience, and we're coming from a place of love and compassion, 
Some of these guys come to me and say, oh, my God, I went to this meeting. They all shot me down because I went to the big book, and I'm never going to share again. And my question to them is, how would you find your teacher? Because they put their neck out and shared and took a little heat. You're going to take some heat with the big book. The carpenter took a lot of heat and changed the planet. I can take a little heat for my home group, huh? So you take a little heat. You plant the seed, wake one up, he'll plant the seed, wake another one up, and suddenly the fellowship you crave is around you. It tells us to do that. Create. And I get to recognize that some folks who have contemporary investigation, they just have contemporary investigation. They never tasted the water. My job is to feed them. Let them taste it. If they don't want, I'll move on to the next house. Dust my sandals off and move on to the next house, to someone who wants it. Never take that stuff personally. Because when I was in treatment, I hated people from AA when they would come into treatment, the H&I folks, and carry a message. And if they had one of these books, I shut them down. I want to hear it. Here's where I was with, with, with recovery. Um, Miami Vice, back when, some of you guys remember Miami Vice? Uh -huh. Don Johnson was my higher power. And Miami Vice... Miami Vice went on at 9 o'clock Friday night. H and I would come in Friday night at 8 o'clock. And you know, AAs, after the meeting's over, we like to chat. So how are you doing? So they used to stay long, and Miami Vice would come on, and they were still in the room talking, and I couldn't hear Don Johnson. So I put on the board one night, Miami Vice, 9 p.m., speakers, please leave promptly. <laughs> I'll drink to that. So I gave people in recovery heat. I gave people with a big book heat. I used to have ugly things in my mind about people who said how successful they were since they've been sober, who went back to school, etc. I hated that. And they got it from me. I can take a little heat about practicing these principles and carrying this big book and sponsorship. And sponsorship, you know, there's a different type of sponsorship. Some of us are bulldogs. Some of us are more gentle. Some of us have different influences with the book. Some of us are boot camp with the book. It's a nut for every screw. But how are we doing overall? How am I doing? Am I getting better? Is my sponsor helping me get better? Do I have love and compassion back in my heart? Am I going to my home occupation and affairs and giving a full day's work for the glory of God? Am I spending time with my loved ones, my wife and my husband? Am I giving time to my kids? Or is it just going to meetings and my wife never sees me? Because I got to get to home group. You know, little Johnny's got a soccer game, but I got to get to home group. No, go to the soccer game. You know, home group will be there. You've been MIA for a long time, practicing these principles all my affairs. I can become so self-righteous with my big book that I have no time for family. Keep my feet in the ground. Keep reaching for the stars. My feet better be in the ground. Home. They kept it open for me. There's been many times over the years where I didn't want to go to Uncle Joe's 50th birthday party, you know or my grandmother's 90, I, you know, I, the game was on, or something, or the newcomer called, and it's the playoffs. Now I've got to do a 12-step call. But that's what we do. My family kept the door open for me after all I did. So I go. 
and I pack into the stream of life, practicing these principles in all my affairs, working with others. Just a couple of minutes on that because we're running out of time. Um, I mean, we can do you know a four-week workshop just on sponsorship and what that looks like. We can do four weeks on emotional sobriety and what that feels like, experientially me talking to you about what emotional sobriety looks like. Mark, Mark used to tell us, grow up spiritually for once. Grow up spiritually. But sponsorship. Some of the methods that have been given to me and I pass on to others, even Big, Big Book has got annoyed with me. Shame on them if they're really in the book. I went to my sponsor in Brooklyn, and he says, the first thing I need you to do is read the, from the preface to page 164 before I sponsor you. I said, what is, what's that? Said, Where's that in the book? And he showed me in working with others, which is we loan him a copy of this book, having read the first uh, uh, portion of this book on the second visit, ready to go through the 12 steps, something like that, it says. I don't remember the exact words. Because that's what we're doing. And then he asked me a question. You think you're an alcoholic and your life's unmanageable? Yes. Do you want help? I said, yes. He's willing to go to any lengths to get help. I said, yes. He said, now I'll sponsor you. Now some people said, oh my God, blasphemy. <laughs> Nobody was with me every day doing that reading. Every day, every day, every day. How are we doing? How are we doing? How's the reading? How are we doing? It was my verbal commitment. The other thing is I learned was about spiritual consent. Spiritual consent is I have no right to go up to you and say, I'm your sponsor. You didn't ask. I'll help you, I'll walk you, I'll bait you, I'll get you to ask me, I'll do all the things I have to do, I'll 12-step you, but at some point you need to say, and have enough humility to say, can you sponsor me? That's spiritual consent. It's the contract. And then off we go, we begin walking through the book. And I was given assignments, step assignments, reading the book, work with my sponsor, in the book, going to meetings, reading 12 and 12, reading comes of age, reading pass it on, so I can be a better member, not only awakened, but an informed member. Because we can get so far away from what AA looked like when it started. It doesn't even look like AA anymore. My sponsor would put me on this thing where uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would have to call him. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would have to call him. And we meet a few days a week at a home group. He knew I was new and needed some discipline. And my times were 10 o'clock. He gave me from 10 to 10.15. If I called at 20 after, his phone didn't answer. He said, I have a life too. If, I, if this was that important, you would call me at 10 o'clock. If I was your drug dealer, you'd call me a quarter to 10. <laughs> right? And so I called. Wow. Here's the deal, brother. I'm talking to my friend Ryan about this. We'll say, wow, when I get that, sounds crazy. We'll talk about how things are like incredibly different, how it's strange, I can't believe you do that. What's really wow and what's really strange, what's really incredible is how we lived before we were sober. That's like, wow, he's using again? That's really strange, he's robbing another bank with a pocket knife, How's, what's he doing? <laughs> I had a guy in treatment, got arrested for robbing a bank with a pocket knife. I said, what were you thinking at that moment? <laughs> Give me your money. I mean, you know. They, they had a laugh at him when he walked in, you know. So I try to pass on what was given to me. 
I try to carry the torch as, as the, the, my, my sponsorship family did. My great-grand sponsor, Gary B., sober forever, he looks like a picture of health. He's as humble man as I've ever met in my life. Soft-spoken, not pretentious. Go to him, he'll give you a story about how to get through life. He'll go to the big book. He loves Alcoholics Anonymous. And so did all my teachers. I watched them. I watched with my eyes. My eyes couldn't deny what I saw. That's how I learned how to sponsor. I didn't invent sponsorship. In fact, I remember the first time, the first, the first guy asked me to sponsor him, I called my sponsor, what do you do? I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and he says, pass on what was given to you. It's not about getting an A in the classroom. Just pass on your experience. And that's what I started to do. And that's what I still do. What my teachers gave me and all the experiences I have, I pass on. A little boot camp with some guys, that's just the way I, I was taught. And I hope at some point I made a difference in someone's life. I go through the steps because I like the effect produced by God. I, leave, I gobble up lots of books and spend lots of time in meditation, three times a day of prayer meditation. It isn't only so, look at me and my belly's full. My thought is, how can I best help a new person? What more can I give to a new person so they can be pulled out of hell and live on this side of the fence? My whole life is about service. If anyone knows me, I, my, my job that I get paid for is really service. I get paid for it. It's not AA work, but it's one of service. Six, eight, ten hours a day of service. My life, my personal life is one of service. Sponsorship, AA, of service. And it seems like the more I serve, the fuller I get. My heavenly father, I serve him, I, I worship him, I do everything I, I can for him as he pursues me. And yet the more I serve my God, I find out my God is serving me, gracing me with another heartbeat, another breath, another day of sobriety. The whole thing makes no sense. The spiritual life makes absolutely no sense to a thinking mind. But here we are, based on some of our track records, we're not supposed to be sitting here. Here I am talking to you based on my track record, I'm supposed to be dead or in jail, on another drunk at another institution somewhere, homeless and experiencing de degradation and humiliation. I don't live like that anymore. How does that happen? The mind can't wrap its arms around that. The ego gets incredibly frustrated, but God could and would if he was sought. And I get to, I get to practice these principles in all my affairs. It's not a need to, a have to, a want to. It's how I've been made now from the inside out. I get to. I get to be compassionate. I get to be honest in a relationship. I get to be loyal to my co-workers. I get to be loyal in my relationship. I get to have a fa I get to for fun and for free. What a great way to live. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. This is my life. It's not a bridge back to life. Some of us have a bridge back to life. This is my life. I don't have a life. And I'm glad I don't, because God's got my life. This is my home. And because of this, I get to do a lot of things. I get to travel the globe doing this. I get to have relationships. I get to have a neat relationship. I get to go to work. I get to put money in the bank. I get to drive a car, because I haven't forgotten my home. And I do other things along with never instead of my Alcoholics Anonymous. I do other things along with never instead of my God. As for me in my house, I worship God. As for me in my house, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm so grateful for that. That's all I got. Peace.